0: good evening and welcome once again to another episode of the friday night parkdale special i'm your host joyrider coming to you live from the dollhouse in downtown toronto with my feline co-hosts chatty g silent j and Floofmaster toby and this is episode 61. on this week's show we're celebrating the birthday of a man whose work shaped a number of genres He started out as an electrical engineer, but liked puttering with his dad and building theremins, and eventually created the first of a line of synthesizers bearing his name which are still used to this day, though primarily by aficionados of analog gear now. Without his synths, prog rock, disco, new wave, industrial, pop, west coast hip hop, and even pop would not have been the same, and some might not have existed at all. That's right, I'm talking about Bob Moog, whose name looks like it should be pronounced Moog, but is not. Much like Brett Favre, it's not pronounced the way it looks. Bob Moog was born in Flushing in Queens in New York City on May 23, 1934, and in addition to being an electrical engineer, he also had a PhD in engineering physics from Cornell. When Mogul was 14, he built his first theremin from plans he got out of a magazine, and at 18, he designed his own theremin. He began his first company a year later at 19, and by 1964, he was working on building a more compact synthesizer, as the ones that existed at the time would fill entire rooms, and in addition, they tended to run about six figures. Instead of following the design of RCA's synthesizer which used punch cards, Moog's design used a keyboard which was immediately more attractive to musicians as it was a more familiar format. Moog designed based on tips from musicians and customers including Wendy Carlos and John Cage and by the late 60s the Moog had become a more mainstream sound thanks to Wendy Carlos's switched on Bach. He was never an incredibly rich man because of all the things he designed, the only thing he ever patented was the filters. According to an article in Sound on Sound, if Moog had created a monopoly on other synthesizer ideas he created such as modularity, envelope generation, and voltage control, it's likely that the synth industry as we know it today would never have happened. But much like other brilliant inventors who cared more about the creation than the cash, he didn't take things in in that direction, and as a result, he spent his later years as a professor in North Carolina, continuing to design electronic instruments for his own company. He died in August 2005 of a brain tumor, but his legacy is incredibly broad and still very much alive, which should be obvious, based on the fact that to illustrate the breadth of the influence of his work, this is going to take two episodes, and that's with me being brief. We probably won't get to the second part until the first or second week of June, but I promise you it's coming. Over these two parts, we're going to listen to music by artists using Moog synths, of which there are many artists, and many synths. I've broken it out by genre, and from there we'll go chronologically. I won't be able to touch on every artist who's used a Moog, or we would be here for weeks, but I'm hoping to bring you some key examples as well as some surprises. So let's get it started with one of the first recorded examples of a Moog being used. From 1968's Switched On Bach, this is Wendy Carlos's interpretation of the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3 in G Major, BWV 1040 Number no. 2 Adagio. Next we have a track from Sun Ra who was born with the name Herman Poole Blount, but uh, he was a, an American jazz composer and poet known for his experimental music. He had um, a persona that he played and he claimed to be an alien from Saturn on a mission to preach peace. and. He was part of the Afrofuturism movement, and he got very experimental with his music. This next recording is from 1969, and it's also known as a contender for the earliest, or one of the earliest recordings of um, Moog being used. I'm gonna keep saying it wrong on that. I, I'm apologizing right now. I only found out this week that it isn't pronounced Moog, So I'm still trying to train myself out of it. This track in its entirety is actually almost 18 minutes long. So we're not going to listen to the whole thing. We're going to listen to about five minutes of it. And that should give you a pretty good sense of Sun Ra's work. So from 1969, this is Sun Ra and his orchestra, and their track Space Probe. So, you get the idea. This is the kind of stuff I could see being played in Yorkville in the late 60s in a basement club with dim lighting, maybe a little bit of red, lots of smoke, and people just kind of sitting and snapping. Speaking of Yorkville in the early 70s, our next act is actually from Toronto. Shrink's was formed in 1970, and they were only really active for about two years. And it's actually pretty hard to find those early recordings but in 2016 they did a re-release of their entire catalog and this is one of the tracks that was captured on that from 1970 this is Srinx's Field Hymn epilogue So one of the earliest purchasers of uh, Moog synth was actually Mick Jagger. He had this idea in his head that that was going to be his signature instrument uh, for the band, but it never ended up really becoming part of the Rolling Stones sound. However, there's a really cool video of Keith Richards mucking around with one, and while what he ends up producing isn't exactly inspired it's not terribly embarrassing either either way it's a lot of fun to watch him play with the different patch courts and of course at this point the Moog was quite large still we're talking probably three to four feet in width that Moog that Mick Jagger bought ended up being purchased by one of the members of Tangerine Dream and Tangerine Dream put out in 1971 an album called Alpha Centauri, and this is from that album. This is Tangerine Dream's Sunrise in the Third System. sidebar that uh, Tangerine Dream are still active and they actually put out an album I think either last year or 2019. Time is kind of muddy. Either way, they still have it. Highly recommend that album. Up next is a track from Mike Oldfield and he's been around since 1973 but we're actually going to listen to one from his third album. This is from 1975's Amadon first excursion by Mike Oldfield. Now, this next track is actually from this group's sixth album, but it's an important one for a couple of reasons. Trans Europe Express was actually one of their biggest albums, and last year, for episode eight, when I did the special on Florian Schneider after his death, I played the Susie and the Banshees version of... The Hall of Mirrors. And I think it's only appropriate to loop back and play the Kraftwerk original. So from 1977's Trans Europe Express, this is Kraftwerk's The Hall of Mirrors.
1: stepped into the Hall of Mirrors, where he discovered a reflection of himself. Even the greatest stars discover themselves in the looking glass. Even the greatest stars discover themselves in the looking glass. Sometimes he saw his real face And sometimes a stranger at his place Even the greatest stars Find their face in the looking glass Even the greatest stars Find their face in the looking glass themselves in the looking glass even the greatest stars dislike themselves in the looking glass in the looking glass even the greatest stars change themselves in the looking
2: glass
1: The greatest stars live their lives in the looking glass. Even the greatest stars live their lives in the looking glass. Their face in the looking glass
0: Jean-Michel Jarret is another artist who's been around for a very long time and was one of the pioneers of synth sound. And it was with his third album that came out the year I was born, 1976, where he did an entire suite of pieces called Oxygen, and he followed that up in 1997 with another installment of Oxygen. The first one in 1976 was Oxygen parts 1 through 6, and his 12th album, Oxygen 7 through 13, came out, like I said, in 1997. And it was actually the one that came out in 1997 that ended up seeing a number of remixes done, and if you've listened to any of my trance sets, you've probably heard me throw one of the remixes for Oxygen 8, down in a set. But tonight, let's take a listen to Jean-Michel Jarret's original of Oxygen 8. about Giorgio Moroder in the past and I believe it was the episode with 80s soundtracks that he came up. He did the theme song for Never Ending Story. He was known to a number of people as the father of disco and really I can see why that moniker applies. His production work with Donna Summer on I Feel Love is really the benchmark of the sound and it's so clear. It's got his fingerprints all over it. While I would love to play something by Giorgio Moroder, what I would prefer to do is to actually let you hear him tell his story himself. From Daft Punk's final album, this is Giorgio by Moroder.
3: You can do whatever you want. So nobody told me what to do. And there was no preconception of what to do.
0: such a perfect homage to Giorgio Moroder, especially the way that it ends with that as he described in the opening of that track. Our last track for this particular cluster of songs comes to us from an artist who was actually one of the founding members of Roxy Music, and they formed in 1971, and Brian Eno said that if he had walked slightly further down the platform or been on the next carriage, Roxy music may never have happened. This track, however, is from uh, an album that he did with his brother Roger last year called Mixing Colors, and this is Roger and Brian Eno's track Celeste. Mm back now to 1972 we have a song from the Bee Gees and this one's kind of strange because they sound a lot more like the moody blues who actually also used a moog but when they used a moog they sounded a lot more like rock than that sort of prog sound they had in their very very early days from 1972's to whom it may concern this is the Bee Gees sweet song of summer. Next, from Electric Light Orchestra's 1977 album, Out of the Blue, we have a song called Mr. Blue Sky, which, if I remember right, was on the most recent Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack.
4: I'm so pleased
0: Listening to that track, I couldn't help but think of this next band, which formed in 1989 in San Francisco. They only had two albums before they broke up, which is really sad because they were tight. They had... The first album, Bellybutton, which came out in 1990, and then in 1993, they released Spilt Milk. And I remember at the time describing this album to friends as what would happen if Queen played on Sesame Street at midnight. From Jellyfish's Spilt Milk, this is The Ghost at Number One. Moving now into a more funk sort of sound, up next we've got Earth, Wind and Fire from their 1981 album Making Waves. This is Let's Groove. so we're gonna take it down a notch and go back about a decade to Stevie Wonder's talking book and this album was known for being his big breakaway from Motown it was actually on the side label Tamla but it was a point where he finally started exploring his own direction and it is still my absolute favorite Stevie Wonder album While Superstition is the track from it that everybody knows, I feel like playing something a little different because I'm like that. So from Talking Book from 1972, this is Stevie Wonders. I believe when I fall in love it will be forever.
5: i to dream. Sights our eyes be will open up our merging hearts and feed our empty souls. I believe when I fall in love. The truth of love are glad and firm, they won't be hard to find, and the words of love I speak to you will echo in my mind, Mm. I believe when I fall in love
0: cannot help but sing along with anything Stevie Wonder does anytime it's on. Up next, we've got a track from Billy Preston, who I believe we talked about at some length in episode 45, the first installment of the Black History Month series that I did this year. Billy Preston was a session musician, just to refresh your memory, and he worked with Little Richard, Sam Cooke, Ray Charles, the Everly Brothers, the Stones, and the Beatles. He also wrote the song, You Are So Beautiful, which ended up being a major hit for Joe Cocker. And, like I said, he ended up working particularly not just with the Beatles, but with George Harrison after the Beatles broke up. He was a very busy man, and this next track is from 1973, and it's actually from his tenth album I believe. This is Billy Preston's Space Race. Interesting fact, which is absolutely worth highlighting, Billy Preston was nominated for a Music Hall of Fame position this year. I believe it was May 12th, which far delayed and absolutely deserved. Up next we've got a track by Chaka Khan, who has been making music since the 70s. And this track actually relies heavily on a Herbie Hancock track, which is interesting because he also used a Moog. So, from 1981, this is Chaka Khan's And the Melody Still Lingers On, A Night in Tunisia. (laughs)
6: And the melody
5: still lingers on.
0: So, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't realize that this next artist actually started as early as he did. Our next track is from Prince, and it's actually his second album, which came out in 1979. From that album, the eponymous, Prince, this is I Wanna Be Your Lover. So while we still have a handful of songs left, we're going to close out the night with some classic rock and folk, and we're going to head all the way back to 1970, and I remember playing with my dad's copy of this album as a kid and it was one of my favorites along with Rolling Stone's Some Girl and Sticky Fingers because they all, all three of these albums had really cool interactive sleeves and in fact It turns out that the release of this album was actually delayed because of the intricacy of the album cover itself. The gatefold had, I believe, what's called a volvelle. It was basically a disc with a hole punched in the middle, and as you rotated it, pictures changed. If you haven't guessed by now, I'm talking about Led Zeppelin III. I was really surprised to find out, actually, that Led Zeppelin had used a moog at any point in their history, but they did, and this track is a fantastic example of it. From Led Zeppelin 3, this is Led Zeppelin's Friends. Mm-hmm. Jumping forward a few years to 1975, up next we've got a track from Pink Floyd from the album Wish You Were Here. Now, they definitely used a moog in a number of tracks. I kind of wanted to go back through the earlier stuff, but this one in particular, it's very obvious. This is part nine of Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Another artist whose use of a moog surprised me is Joni Mitchell, also from 1975, from her album The Hissing of Summer Lawns. This is The Jungle Line.
6: paints a jungle flower behind her ear Those cannibals of shuck and jive They'll eat a working girl like her alive With his hard-edged eyes and orchid vines And he hangs up up, up, above a five-piece bang He hangs it up up, above of sound and time Floating, drifting on the air-conditioned wind And drooling for a taste of something smuggled in Pretty women funneled through valves and smoke Coy and bitchy wild and fine and charging elephants and chanting slaving boats charging, chanting down the jungle line There's a poppy wreath on a soldier's tomb There's a poppy snake in the dressing room poppy poison poppy tourniquet it slithers away on brass like mouthpiece spit and metal skin and ivory birds go steep To Brooklyn Bridge Steaming, steaming, steaming Up the jungle line
0: Okay, so some of tonight's show is out of order, but shh, Let's just go with it up next another artist who surprised me by having used a moog Simon and garfunkel from 1968's bookends this is save the life of my child
5: boy oh, sat on the ledge. An old man who had
0: Our second last song for the night is from 1977's Albo Zietso from Kat Yusuf Stevens. This is Remember the Days of the Old School Yard. our last song of the evening we have a track from Genesis from their 1978 album then there were three this is Genesis's undertow
2: The glass and mouth. This is confusing. I die.
0: That's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have you share some of your week with me. If you like what I do, consider supporting the show by tossing a coin to your DJ at ko-fi.com forward slash DJrider. Your tips go to new tunes for future episodes. And I should let you know that not only is they're going to be an upcoming gig that you should keep an eye out for on May 29th on Twitch. It will be 11 DJs over 11 hours. I believe I'm at the 7pm slot. If you follow the show on Facebook at the Friday Night Parkdale special, all one word, or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DJoyRider, you can find out more details. I'm always open to new show ideas, and those are all great places to drop your suggestions. I look forward to hearing them, and I do use them. As always, be well and stay safe. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.